One of my all-time favorite movies. I don't know if you have a favorite movie list. Anybody have a favorite movie list? I, just, I used to keep one, and I had a top five, and that was like 15 years ago. And so now it's just like, you know, when I talk about it, it's like, well, all those movies are old. And yeah, yeah, that's what happens to you, right? But on the top of my list is the movie A Few Good Men. Uh, and it's the one, if you're not familiar with it, it's a famous movie. It's the one where Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. You know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the one. Tom Cruise is one of the actors, and he plays, he plays the role of a Navy lawyer named Daniel Caffey. And in the movie, he is assigned to represent two U.S. Marines that are stationed at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, naval base, and they're charged with the murder of a fellow Marine. Caffey is a Harvard-graduated lawyer, and he's been in the Navy for nine months and has never taken a, a case to court. In fact, in the movie, he prided himself on his plea bargaining abilities where he had successfully plea bargained 44 straight cases in nine months. At one point, he even jokes in the movie, one more and I get a set of steak knives. One more and I get a set of steak knives. Demi Moore is also in the movie, and she plays Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway, and she expresses her doubt over Daniel Caffey's ability to justly represent the two Marines. And she asks him, have you ever been in a courtroom? And he replies back to her, and this is, a, this is kind of a, a great statement that he makes. He says, Commander, from what I understand, if this thing goes to court, they won't need a lawyer, they'll need a priest. Daniel Caffey, in the movie, makes an important statement. Considering the nature of the crime and the circumstantial evidence that exists, these two men who are charged with murder ultimately will not need representation in the court of law. No, what they will need is representation before God. And that's exactly what Daniel was suggesting, and it's also exactly what a priest does. What does a priest do? He represents someone before God. And why, the, but it brings up the question, why would we need representation before God? Well, the Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so every single person has sinned. We've fallen short of the glory. And because of that, we're in a dire situation. We need a, represent, a representative. We need representation before God. The question then becomes, what kind of priest do we need? And how do we enlist such a priest on our behalf, in our behalf? In Exodus, and we're going to look at a little section of Scripture in Exodus tonight, God established a priesthood in the nation of Israel. He establishes a priesthood. 
Following the instructions to build and construct the wilderness tabernacle, God gave Moses instructions concerning the high priest of this priesthood and the rest of the priesthood. The priesthood represented the people before God, and they also represented God to the people. Within this priesthood, you had a priest who outranked the rest of the priesthood. You had an entire priesthood, but you had one priest that outranked the entire lot of them, and he was called the high priest. Now, when you look at the priesthood in the Bible, it's important to remember that there are two main areas to look at. The first is regarding the, the clothes that the priests wore. They had specific clothes. They had a uniform. Everyone in Israel, I guess, could wear whatever they wanted to, but the priests had, well, not a uniform. They had a wardrobe. <laughs> they had these, what were called the priestly garments. But then the second area that you look at with the priesthood is not only what they had on, but what they did, the duties, the responsibilities of the priesthood. The garments, the wardrobe of the priests, what they wore had great significance, especially the things that were worn by the high priest. Each garment that you look at in the garmentry of the priest points to the character, nature, and work of his position. And ultimately, the high priest represented Israel before God, and so it pointed to who he was to be and the character and the position and the, and the, and the job that he was to do. In the Old Testament instructions for the priesthood, uh, we're shown that the high priest and the priesthood were to represent the people to God, and they also pointed forward, that whole group and the high priest pointed forward to other people that would be a priesthood and another person that would be a high priest. And this is actually foretold in the language of the, of the Pentateuch here in Exodus, but also other parts in the Old Testament. Specifically speaking, in Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, the psalmist says this, I'll throw it up on the screen behind me, he says this, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so what is the, the psalmist saying is that there is another high priest coming. There's another representation coming. And this is what is spoken of in the priesthood of the Old Testament, the priesthood that we see here in the book of Exodus. The priest uh, the Old Testament priesthood speaks to us of the kind of high priest that you and I need as human beings. And this brings us back to the question, what kind of priest do we need? What kind of high priest do we need? When you look at the Bible, one of the things, and this is a, this is a great little nugget that you need to hold on to when you look at the entire scripture Everything in the Word of God is about Jesus. Amen? Everything in the Word of God from cover to cover is about Jesus. In fact, if you just read Genesis 1-1 and you skip ahead to John 1-1, you find out that the, that the God in John 1-1 is the God in Genesis 1-1, and he's the God all the way in Revelation 22, the last verse. And everything in the Bible 
speaks about Jesus. There were Jews in Jesus' ministry, there were Jews who sought to kill Jesus because he supposedly violated the Sabbath. I mean, these guys, you talk about people looking to trap someone in some type of an an illegality. You talk about people trying to conspire and come up with charges. Nothing new under the sun for the last 2,000 years or however many thousands of years. And so Jesus was no different. He was targeted uh, for uh, trumped up charges. And, uh, and so they sought to, to bring these accusations against him uh, and, and specifically that he had violated the Sabbath. And, and considered himself equal with God. And so in John chapter 5, verse 39, I'll throw it up on the screen behind me. Jesus says a very interesting thing. It says this, Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Now, when he said this, they didn't have the, old, the New Testament, right? The New Testament hadn't been written. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And he's telling them, you search the Old Testament. You search all the scriptures. And, and you're thinking, oh, well, we're doing all this and we're doing the word. And he says, that's great, but these testify of me. And in another translation, that, I believe that was the NKJV. I want to throw it up on the screen behind me in the NLT. Um, because I like the way that at the end of the sentence there that the the translators put it in the NLT. He says, you search the scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. In other words, the scriptures are all about Jesus. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. When you go to Bible college to become a pastor, one of the classes that that you take is called How to Preach in a Rainstorm When the Rain is Beating Down on Your Building and You're Trying to Raise Your Voice So That You Can Preach to the Crowd. Amen? No, that's not the class that you take. You take a class called Hermeneutics, okay? Hermeneutics, and it is the, hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. A quick lesson in hermeneutics, okay? So I'm going to give you guys, you guys are read, how many readers of the Bible do we have here? How many want to understand the Bible when you read it? Amen? Okay. Here's a quick lesson in hermeneutics. When you read the scriptures, look for Jesus. If you read a passage of scripture and you don't know what's going on in this passage, look for Jesus in there. There's something about it that's speaking to us of Christ. John Calvin, the famous reformer of of where we get the, the, the Calvinists and all this, He put it this way, we ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. So I think that's a good tip. So what does the scripture say then concerning the high priest, our high priest that we specifically need? Hebrews chapter three, verse one, I'll throw it up on the screen behind me. It says this, therefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle, the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying that, okay, yes, we had an Old Testament priesthood. Yes, we had Aaron and his sons and the generations that followed them, right? But we had a high priest that came. We had a perfect high priest that came, and he continues in that office of high priest. See, 
the, the office of the high priest was, it was kind of like a lifetime appointment. It was like, a, it was like, like being a judge on the Supreme Court, right? Um, when you died, that was it. You're no longer the high priest, right? Jesus continues on forever as our high priest. Amen? Amen. Now, as we look at the priestly garment, so we're looking at Jesus who is our high priest. Now we're going to go back to the priesthood and we're going to look at the priesthood. We're going to look at the garments of the, of the high priest. And while we do it, we need to consider Jesus. We need to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Let's consider who he is. Let's consider his character. Let's consider his love. Let's consider the duties, the, the functions, the things that he came to do. Amen? Now, we're in a, a culture that, that values fashion, right? We're in a culture that values fashion. We have stores and malls and, and catalogs and online, and you can go, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, what you can do. And, uh, and, and, and everyone is into their, their fashion, right? Even if it's just, you say, well, I'm not much into fashion. I just like a good pair of jeans and some flip-flops. Well, then that's what you're into, right? You, just because you said, well, I'm not into the high fashion of like Paris and stuff. I mean, you won't see me wearing like Pradas and Gucci's and things, but I'll just give me a pair of Levi's. Well, then that's your fashion, right? But even in the world of jeans people get, take it serious, right? Take their jeans serious. So serious that we have a brand of jeans called true religion, right? True religion jeans. We're so serious about our jeans. We're going to just make a religion out of it, right? And flip-flops, you know, you think of, like, when we were kids, remember we were kids? It's like, you get a pair of flip-flops, it was those just real flimsy ones that, like, you know, would always, like, they would never even stay together, and you'd have to press the thing down <laughs> through the bottom thing and, and figure it out. And now you go into these stores, and there's a whole wall of, like, expensive flip-flops. You can spend, like, 60 70 80 90 $100 on a pair of flip-flops. Did you know that? Yeah. Flip-flops. So, so we can't even argue that, oh, just give me some jeans and some flip-flops because people are into that. The point is this, fashion, your fashion makes a statement. Have you ever heard that? Fashion, statement, your fashion makes a statement. And it's no different. All the way back, when you go all the way back to the priesthood and the, fat, the garmentry of the priesthood, their garmentry, the robes and the things, and we're going to look at just one of those things tonight, okay? So just, you know. Stay with me here, right? We're just going to look at one piece tonight, but in the coming weeks, we're going to look at all of it. But the, the robes, the garmentry of the priesthood made a statement. It makes a statement of, of, of who the priesthood is and what their character is, what their, their job is, and, and all of it. And so we want to take a look at this. The, the, the priestly garments make a pretty profound and bold statement about and specifically about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? So if you're taking uh, notes tonight, that was the introduction, okay? Praise the Lord. Amen. We made it through the introduction, all right? 
But thankful, thank the Lord tonight that the body of the message is only about as long as the introduction, okay? So just hang on with me, all right? So two points tonight. First, a minister to the Lord. A minister to the Lord. Let's pick it up in Exodus 28 and verse 1. It says this. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And so shall they make holy garments for Aaron your father and his sons, that he may minister to me as a priest. Here in verse 1, God lays out the priority of the ministry, the ministry of the priesthood, and all of ministry. And if you're a person who comes to Christ, you're called into the ministry. Amen? You're called to ministry. And here's why. The Lord lays it out here in the very first verse. Moses is instructed to take his brother Aaron and Aaron's sons and to consecrate them for the priesthood ministry. And the ministry of the priesthood is first to the Lord. Amen? Look at it. Verse 1 again. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as a priest. And so this is an important principle, an important truth. Ministry is always first unto the Lord. Our lives are to be dedicated. It's to be a service. It's to be a ministry to the Lord. And when we give ourselves in ministry, when we give ourselves in service to the Lord, when we commit our lives to the Lord, what does Paul tell us in Colossians, in the book of Colossians? He says, you are complete in him. You're not complete anywhere else, but you're complete so far as you give your life to him and you become that priest unto the Lord. You become a part of the royal priesthood of believers. You become singularly a priest unto the Lord to serve the Lord, to minister as a priest as unto him. And I know this freaks a lot of people out. You talk to Catholics and other people of certain religions, you say, look, if you're a Christian, you're a priest. They're like, no, I'm not. You know, the priests are over there and they do that whole thing. No, 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 no. You are a priest unto the Lord. You are the one that is there to serve the Lord and to minister to the Lord. Amen? This is a principle that was in effect when the Levites were chosen as the tribe of the priesthood. The tribe of Levi was chosen for the priesthood. And there's a specific reason. You say, well, why was it Levi? Why why was Moses called to be the deliverer and his brother was consecrated to be the high priest and his sons to be the priesthood? And And then it was just this family thing. To be a priest, you had to have, well, you had to have the right fashion. You had to have the family genes. 
Levi. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You had to have, come on, it's a, good, it's a good joke. It's been used many times, but we have to keep it alive. We have to keep it alive. So in, in, in order to be a, a priest, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. The question is why? Why was it of all the 12 tribes, why was Levi chosen? And we actually know the reason from Scripture. We're actually told. The tribe of Levi was chosen for the priesthood when they were the tribe that obeyed God's command and carried out his word of judgment upon those who had committed grievous sexual sins and idolatry, idolatrous worship in the golden calf incident when, when Moses had gone up onto the holy mountain to speak with God. And you'll remember from that particular section of scripture that Moses went up onto the mountain and he was there and they, they wondered what happened to him. And they said, well, uh, you know, we, I, we don't know what happened to Moses and we need a new program. And so they went right back to the worship that they had been pulled out of. They went right back to the worship that they had in Egypt. They had a golden calf and the whole thing, and, the, and, and, and it was really bad. And I'm, I'll just leave, I'll just, you know, I snuck a little word in there so you understand what was involved in that Egyptian, the pagan worship of really, of, of really Babylonian religion that started out under Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. But when God confused the languages and he set the boundaries of the nations uh, in Genesis 11, and we see that in Exit, uh, Deuteronomy 38, uh, when God did that, what happened was that pagan religion of Babylon actually basically became reinvented in the new languages. And so basically across the earth, you have all these different gods. And you say, well, look at all these gods that the different peoples of all the earth have. Well, if you trace it down, you can, you can corner it down to basically the same group of gods. They just are known by different names in the different tongues under the different nations as God had scattered the people across the earth. And so... So this is, this is the situation that you had. So they went back to the, the worship, the idolatrous worship of Egypt. And when, when, God, when uh, Moses finally came back down and God gave the word and there was to be this judgment, who was it that sided with the Lord in that moment? When, when, when Moses came down the mountain with... Uh, with the tablets, right? You know, with his iPads, no, with those heavy tablets, right? He comes down the mountain with the law of God, and it was carried out, the judgment of God, by the Levites, and 3,000 people suffered the loss of their life on that, that particular day when the law, when Moses came down with the law and they had entered into this, back into this pagan worship. And God was setting the tone and saying, hey, this is a serious thing and I'm separating you out as my people in the world. I'm separating you out as my people to be my people. So 3,000 souls lost their lives. Now, the, 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 the flip side of that is that on the day of Pentecost, right, how many were saved when the church started? 3,000, right? So there's that, that bookend of that type of a situation, but it's all about 
being a people separated out unto the Lord. And so a pre, the priesthood ministry is always first to the Lord. And so when you get in your mind, you wake up and you got all your different things going and, and whatever, you need to just, this needs to be a thought that is just emblazoned in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord. I, I minister to the Lord. Everybody else on the face of this earth could turn their back on me. They could hurt me. They could just do whatever. And the bottom line is that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Amen? No turning back. I've decided to follow him. I've decided to worship him. I've decided to trust him. And I'm going to serve as a priest. And no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to remember that that is what God has set my life to. And he's given me a reason. And he's given me a purpose. And that is so important. One of the biggest things that's coming out of the popular... Um, uh, there's, there's a popular philosophy that's coming out and, and being discussed. And one of the good things, one of the little nuggets that's coming out of it is this idea that meaning in life is so important. But we know as Christians, and we know it with the Word of God, that it's meaning that we have through understanding who God is and that we give our lives to God and that we're complete in Him and we have that meaning, we have that purpose. Amen? Serving is always unto the Lord. Peter speaks of this. In 1 Peter 2.9, I'll throw it up on the screen. He says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You can trace down so many different things there. Whenever you see this calling out, you see really, yes, you see the people being called out of darkness, but you also see the Jews being called out, the Hebrews being called out of Egypt, right? So, so Egypt is that type of darkness. It's that type of the world. It's that type of the sin. And God has called you out of it. He's called you out of that, Christian. And he's, and he's, and he's set your feet up on a rock and he's made you the light of the world. And, and he's given you a purpose and you're, you're chosen. You're chosen and called out of that. And he's made you a part of a royal priesthood. You're not only, you're not only, we're not going to get into this tonight, but th there it is in that verse. You're not just a priest, but you're a king. You're, you're a part of a special group of people upon the earth, a, a royal priesthood of believers, amen? A holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim. Proclaim with your mouth, proclaim with your activity in your life, proclaim with your service to the Lord. The believer in God is to minister as a priest unto God. And that's exactly what the priests did, and that's exactly what Jesus as the Son did when he came, and he operated in the office of the high priest, but he also operated in that person of the second person of the Trinity, serving under the will of the Father, amen, and ministering to the Father. If you will serve God in your life, you'll be in the right place. If you'll serve Christ in your life, first and foremost, your life will be rightly prioritized and centered. Amen? But you've got to realize that your life, that your service is first and foremost to the Lord. 
Paul even encourages workers, employees. What does he encourage them? Work as unto the Lord, right? In your, in your marriages, love your spouse as unto the Lord. Ministry is always first and foremost to the Lord, amen? And secondly tonight, so first, a minister to the Lord. Secondly, rest in the authority of Jesus. Let's pick it up, verse 5 of, of Exodus. He says this, they, they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven li linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at the two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six of their names on the other stone, in the order of their birth with the work of an engraver in the stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as, a memor as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders as a memorial, and you shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So the, here, here we come to the first garment. This is the first piece of the wardrobe. This is the first uh, piece of, of the fashion statement of the high priest, and it is this ephod. It's called the ephod. Uh, God instructed Moses to make the ephod. Back then, they did not have iPods, but they did have an ephod. Amen? And so here's your choice, ephod or iPod. Which one do you want? It's your choice. It's your choice. I know this is, that's old, right? iPod, it's like iPhone now. And now that's going out. People are going back to the flip phones. People are tired of their smartphones, and now they're going back to the flip phones. They're going back to like, getting out of the whole system. I just read an article about how you can't, you can't really quit Facebook. There was a whole article about people who tried to quit Facebook and then like they weren't really quit and it like, it's a tangled web. Anyways, I don't know why I just said that. Um, ephod or iPod? It's your choice. What was the ephod? The ephod was like an apron. Now you think of an apron that like, you know, what was her name, Cleaver? You know, Beaver's mom, June. Yeah, June Cleaver, she had her, like, you know, flower. No, this is like a, this is a manly, you know, apron, like, you know, somebody out there barbecuing. But this is like doing work to the Lord, right? And so this was an ephod, and it was connected by two shoulder straps at the top, and it was fastened together. Now, what is the ephod about? The ephod reflects the authority of its wearer. And you might ask the question, how does... How does an apron, how, does, how would this ephod represent an authority? And in the same way that uh, an officer's badge, uh, the, the, the star 
that an officer might wear to signify that he's an officer of the law, signifies the authority that he has, having been given that authority from the, proper, from the other property authorities, you know when you see that badge or when you flash that badge, you know, they ha- how they have the little, you know, the undercover guys have that little folded, you know, wallet thing, and they go, you know. Um, just as, as that signifies the authority that they have, the ephod signified the authority under which the priest, the high priest was operating. Amen? So this is what was happening. And on this ephod, it was specifically uh, to be made with two onyx stones that were to be set in gold and, and to put in those settings of gold and fastened onto the top, the shoulder straps of this ephod. And on these black onyx stones were to be engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And six on one stone, six on the other stone, and, and, and specifically in the order of their birth. And, and so you had that instruction. So the names of the 12 tribes were engraved on the stones, resting on the shoulders of the ephod. And this was, this was to be done exactly as it is stated here. And what does this speak to us of? It speaks to us of the, of the reality that Israel was to, to really, as the onyx stones would rest on the straps of the ephod that represented the authority of the high priest, that Israel was to rest in the authority of the Lord God and that they were to rest in that authority that was, was, was there. So the same goes for us. We need to put our trust in God's authority. Amen? We are to rest in the authority of our high priest because we're resting. We're, our names are included in those, in those groups. You know, when you get to the end of the book, you know, there's this group and you see the tribes all over again. And if you follow this, we're being grafted into that family. We've been grafted into that family. Now, I don't know which tribe I'm going to be grafted into, you know, but I think probably Benjamin. Although he was the last born, and that's, you know, you don't want to necessarily put yourself in there as like, you know, the baby of the family, but, but you're in some good hands. You're in some good company with the Apostle Paul, right, being in the tribe of Benjamin. So I don't know, maybe Judah, maybe Reuben. Reuben, he's not here tonight, but I'm sure he's going to be in the tribe of Reuben. <clears throat> you can tell him he missed the message, but you can let him know. <clears throat> So we're to, we're to, as those engraved stones are resting upon the shoulders of the high priest, we need to picture us, our names engraved on those stones, on our high priest. And whereas we're resting in on the ephod of our high priest, we're resting in the authority of Christ in our lives. And so the point is this, rest in the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. His fashion is making a statement to you. Let God be in charge of your life. Let him be the authority. Don't run from the authority of God. It's, 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 it's a crazy road of running away from the authority of God. 
running away out from underneath the covering, out from underneath the shelter, out from underneath the security of being in God. The gold setting is, again, that picture of the deity of, of God, of the deity of Christ. And there it is. We're, we're set and resting in, in, in God, who, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're resting in him. Let God be in charge of your life. Let Jesus be the authority of your life. Let him be the one that gives you direction. Let him be the one that speaks to you and gives you that word that you need. Let him be the one that, that speaks to you, when you, need to when you need a word, when you need guidance, when you need something. Let it be him that is that authority in your life. He is the one that can rule your life perfectly. He's the one that can rule your life perfectly, lovingly, justly, and righteously. And you go out and you don't realize when you run away from the Lord, you're running and you're trying to find something that's better than that. And let me tell you, you're not going to find anything to rest in. You're not going to find anyone to rest in that's better than Jesus. Amen? That's bigger than Jesus. That's better than Jesus. I know, who was it? John Lennon said, we're bigger than Jesus. No, you're not bigger than Jesus. And there's no one better than Jesus. There's no one bigger than Jesus. There's no one better than Jesus. There's no one that can more perfectly and lovingly and graciously and, 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 and absolutely justly rule your life. And, and if you'll let him do that, if you let him do it, let him do it. Let him be the authority. Rest in that ephod. Be written on those stones of onyx on the ephod of, of your high priest. Amen? Some don't want God's rule. There are some people that you say, you preach a message like this, and they don't want God's rule. Well, I tried that. I did that. I grew up in that. We tried that for a little while. That's not for me. I don't want the Jesus stuff. I'm not into the Jesus thing. I mean, my goodness, how, how, how much I've been spending the, all my days and my life looking into this. And I just stand in awe and amazement every day, diving into a new depth, finding a new angle, finding a new thing of the person of Christ and the character of Christ, and you've given up on him? And you've said, no, I, I don't want the rule of Christ in my life. Oh, oh, please, you, you, if you hear my heart tonight, let Jesus rule in your life. Amen? Yes. If, you, if you don't want God's rule, what, what you ultimately end up with, you end up with oppression in some form, and it's probably going to come at least in part from yourself. Because you can't rule yourself right. Yeah. You can't do it. You can go and try. You can go and try and do. And you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to rule. You don't want to be under the control of God. And God doesn't want to control you. But you'll find when you run away from God that you're out of control. Yeah. That you're out of control. And once you reject resting in God's authority, you reject wisdom. You ultimately reject wisdom. Dennis Prager, many of you will know him. He uh, is a radio host, but he also is uh, a writer of Bible commentaries. And he has written two Bible commentaries, one on Exodus and one on Genesis. And he actually 
uh, grew up in a Jewish home, but he never served the Lord. In fact, he didn't believe in God. And he, and he says this, this is his testimony of coming to believe in God. He says, I, I, have, I came to believe in God because of people that didn't believe in God. You say, what? That's kind of, he says, I came to God through the back door. <laughs> I came to believe in God because of people who didn't believe in God. And this is, this is his story. When he was a graduate student at Columbia University in New York City, and he was in the Middle East and Russian studies program, okay? Speaking Hebrew, Russian, and doing all the heavy-duty stuff. But he was looking at all the stuff that he was being taught in graduate school at Columbia University, and he says, how is it that I'm at one of the most prestigious universities in the country, and I'm being taught nonsense? I'm being things... I'm being taught things that are just wildly stupid. Like the, the, the idea, that, and this was years ago in grad school that he, that he realized this because he's like an older man now. He's in his 70s. So think about this. Was in his, he's probably his 20s. This was like maybe 40, 50 years ago. So some of these things, some of these fruits that are these, these um, crops that are harvesting now were sown in the decades past. And one of those things that was sown was this idea that there's basically no difference between men and women. And so now we're, we, we've sown to the wind, and as God said in Hosea, we've sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind um, on that particular point. And, and if you do any biological study and you do any sociological study and you, do, you look at all the studies, the top studies uh, from, 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 from all of it, it it's, and, and he says... He's being taught this nonsense, and he's walking across the campus at, at, on Columbia, and a verse of scripture came to his head from his yeshiva Hebrew school days. He grew up K through 12 going to yeshiva. He, he had six hours of Hebrew school studies in the Torah in Hebrew, and then six hours of regular studies. This was his day, Okay. And so, and it came to him in the Hebrew, because that's how he knows it. He knows the whole thing in Hebrew. And it came to him in Hebrew, and he said it out loud. And when he said it, it was like, it crystallized in his mind, and it was this verse. It was, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he said, there's no wisdom at Columbia because there's no God at Columbia. He said, the godless can be smart. They can even be brilliant, but they have no wisdom. Why? Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is resting in the authority of God. Wisdom is, is fearing the Lord. It's realizing that God is in control of everything. It's realizing that God is sitting on the throne. Amen? And so you can have some smart, quote-unquote, smart ideas. You can, you can be brilliant over here and actually end up being, believing things that have, like, no wisdom in them whatsoever. And God doesn't want that for our lives, amen? 
He wants us to be full of wisdom. He wants us to come to fear him, to rest in his authority, to come. And as James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And, 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 and he will give liberally. Amen? And, and I don't know if this is something that you do in your life, Christian. But you should. I want to encourage you. You should, as a part of your daily prayers, be asking for wisdom every day. Asking for the wisdom of the Lord. You need his presence, and you need his wisdom, and you need to rest in his authority. Amen? And realizing this, Isaiah said it this way, and I'm, I'm done. Amen? How are we doing? <clears throat> Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. I'll throw it up on the screen. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Who's that? It's God. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. We have to understand he's a big God. He's a great God. He's, he's the mind that set all this world and this universe in motion. You think of his creation. You think of all the systems that are, that are happening. And I saw this thing on Facebook this week, and it was this diagram of like all the systems of the human body. And it, and it said, you know, the most incredible machine, you know, ever invented. And, you know, you think of, you think of like even like your skin right now. You're a little sweaty, and so what, what's happening? You're a little hot, so your skin is sweating, right? And that's not even the first aspect of what your body's doing and the complexity of the design and the DNA and all that was built because there's a DNA strand that's, that's billions of miles long that actually has is is, created everything that is you and that you're sitting there in the chair li listening to this message right now. And it's he who sits above the circle of the earth. He's the one who's enthroned above the earth. And so you're going to trust yourself? Even as Christians, we think, oh, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. We trust the Lord with our eternity. But do we sit and rest in the authority of Christ for the here and now, for the today, for the things that he wants to, to do in our lives, for the wisdom that he wants to bring into our lives. Amen? If you put your life under God's control, control, knowing that Jesus is your representative, he's your high priest, he has the ephod, he's wearing the ephod, and your name is engraved on the onyx stones of the ephod right now. If you'll do that, your life will be at peace and you'll have the wisdom of God. 